You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to Nerd Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. This is episode number 300. We're in anticipation of the release of Spider-Man No Way Home. We'll be looking at the history of good old Webhead himself with a Spider-Man retrospective. Now, for this 300th episode, I am one of your hosts, Tim. I'm Troy. And I'm Carlos. 300, guys. We started this podcast in December of 2015. Our first episodes, four of them hitting Apple on January 15th, 2016. So just about six years of recording this very podcast. And we'd like to welcome everyone who's been here since episode one, who is joining for the first time on episode 300. Welcome to the Nerd Room. Carlos, Troy, my dudes, how are you guys doing on episode 300 here? Good, man. Happy to be here, being the, the latecomer to the, to the Nerd Room party. Yep. But you own all 300 episodes, though, brother, even though you've only been here for 150 of them. <laughs> yeah, 150. We, we planted that seed in that weird screening of Justice League. The, yes. Yeah, the force brought us all together, all in the same it's, theater to experience that. It did. <laughs> Troy, man, how you yeah, doing? Man. I think you've been here since episode eight, episode four, maybe six. I don't know, something like that. Yeah. Long time. Yeah, long time, man. No, feeling good, feeling great, and uh, always, always appreciate being here, man. This is... uh. This is crazy, man. I can't believe this. 300 episodes and and um, just all the people we got to interact with, man. Mm-hmm. All those guys over on Twitterverse. The Twitterverse. It's so real. And I just, I love all those guys and gals out there. So let's keep it going. Let's keep rocking and enjoy all of Nerdum, man. Love it. Yeah, yeah. And I think to, off of that point there that you made, Troy, I think that's kind of the most important thing that I want to hit on for episode 300. We're not doing a big celebration. We're going to actually talk about a, a few little things before getting into our Spider-Man rep- retrospective, but I think on behalf of myself, Carlos, Troy, Ian, Sanjay, everyone who's been part of the Nerd Room and creating and building this community, want to thank you guys for listening. Thank you for the connections on Twitter, on Instagram, YouTube, wherever it is. The entire new nerd community that we've been able to build together through a collective passion for stars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. Thank you guys for being there, coming back every single week. We have a riot doing this. We we love podcasting and talking about this stuff every week, and it's awesome that we get to experience it and share it with you guys. So big thank you guys for making 300 episodes a lot of fun for us as well. Now, you know, given that we're looking at episode 300, so that's 300 published episodes or numbered episodes. We've actually published 360 episodes when you include all the bonus shows that we've done, whether it's the MCU retrospective. Troy and I used to do a little Rebels after show, Star Wars Rebel Alert. I think it was season three, maybe season mm. four up until the end, where we kind of did an immediate record right after and jump, dumped that onto – that was before we had two kids <laughs> each. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, we've done some bonus episodes this year with the Calgary Ghostbusters, and we just recorded Carlos and I an awesome – Jurassic World retrospective or discussion with Tom Jurassic and memes that we just dropped on the feed. So go one episode back, but 300 episodes or 360 episodes. If you do a rough calculation, that's about 30,000 minutes of content, 500 hours 
and 20 days of consistent listening for the nerd room. So you could sit down today and you'll be the past the end of December before you're done listening to all 360-ish episodes of the nerd room. That's crazy when you put that into perspective. That's amazing, man. That's absolutely amazing. <laughs> this is our legacy, guys. This is our legacy. We're going to be leaving our children not only room full of collectibles that they may or may not want, we're also going to be leaving them with thousands upon thousands of hours of content here. So if you guys are new to the show, there you go. You got 500 hours worth of content to listen to. And as we've done this, as we've gone through all 300 episodes, we've covered a lot of things between those beginning few days right around The Force Awakens, all the way up to now what's going to be Spider-Man No Way Home, the third entry into that trilogy, which just kicked off in 2017. You know, we've looked and watched and celebrated the rise of Star Wars in the Disney era. We've had a absolute parade of plastic that has pushed us well into our late 60s for retirement because of the effects on our individual wallets, bringing all those hot toys and Marvel Legends and Black Series. We've reviewed and discussed endless trailers, teasers, and rumors and speculated much to the pleasure of myself because I love a good speculation. We've got over 50 film reviews. We've seen the return of Spider-Man to the big screen in the MCU. We watched the end of the Infinity Saga, 10 years in the making. We actually got to see Zack Snyder's Justice League (laughs) in this time span. DC fandom and the rising tides of the new DC film direction going into 2020. We've seen the death and the resurrection of the theatrical experience at the hands of an unprecedented global pandemic. We've seen the arrival of Disney+, Plus, HBO Max, Netflix, a new form of visual storytelling for all of our favorite franchises. We've seen a lot here, guys, over the last six years, and that is just a small window into the things that we've discussed since 2016, late 2015. But I want to know, what are some of the things that you've loved discussing on this podcast in here? I want to just do a little bit of a, a look back here for the listeners. And I want you guys out there that are listening too to think about this. In the last six years, we've seen a lot of crazy stuff in this nerd space. And I listed a few things there. But Troy, what's what's some of your favorite moments from nerddom over the last six years as we've recorded these 300 episodes oh um i I think one which is just absolutely huge to me even though it didn't turn out the greatest but the beginning was amazing and i gotta go with uh the force awakens Hmm. the anticipation the anticipation to the force awakens star wars is back it's under disney we got all these new creative ways that we can go uh, returning characters coming back because we know that we're getting Luke, we know we're getting Han, we know we're getting Leia, Chewie, and um, the trailers and just discussing that. Obviously, we, we, we probably mentioned this at least two or three times a year. Tim and I is like notorious hunt for the <laughs> yeah. Black Series. is my first dive into the Black Series that day and it was just, it was amazing, man. And um, I just, I think that was just something really special because before Force Awakens, uh, it probably would have been phantom menace phantom menace probably would have been like the biggest thing to really get crazy over um and when the force awakens came i just felt like literally i felt like the force is just awakened in everybody and like the anticipation was so high from kids to grown-ass men to our age like 
everybody was just <laughs> like, wow, like Star Wars is going down. And um, I think I remember too when we saw like what was it? Was it the uh the first screening uh in Hollywood? Was it at the uh the Chinese theater there they have or yeah. the El Capitan? No, it's the Chinese yeah. And um and Hollywood was just lit. It was just yeah. it was just not seeing that from like I think Entertainment Tonight was broadcasting and I was like, oh my goodness, like what a time we live in. And and for me, walking out of Force Awakens, I was I was blown away. I loved it. I fell in love with the character Ray and Finn out of that film. And uh my level of Star Wars was on an all-time high because I'm coming off of the the Clone Wars movie, the animated movie, <laughs> which which actually wrecked Star Wars for me. And how weird how is it has it as it's changed because I've fallen in love with Clone Wars the actual series and Ahsoka has now become like my number two favorite character in Star Wars, right? So Basically, yeah, that that moment in time and just us like talking about it and mm-hmm. um, poor Sanjay having to listen to us yeah. go on and on about Star Wars. <laughs> but man, it was real. Like it was it was amazing because, yeah, like action figure collecting and then talking about the movies and all the theory crafting and the costumes. And our kids were dressing up as Ray with the light. Like, yeah, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy times. And uh, that Force Awakens will always have a special, special place in my heart for, for that, man. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, I'm the same. It's that Force Awakens and then the post-TFA world that we lived in into Rogue yeah. One, really up to 2017 when we got The Last Jedi. That space in there, the collecting was wild. All the yeah. Force Friday events, the Elite Series, the three and three-quarter inch, the Black Series. There was so much going on and so much positivity in yeah. the community. This this film that lit the world on fire, not over $900 million of the domestic box office. And Crazy. it propelled Star Wars to a level that no one could have predicted. And we were right in the middle of it when it came to the speculation, the trailer watching, the theory crafting, the collect. It was so much fun. I remember that period so fondly on the podcast. It was basically like two solid years of, like yeah. you said, just talking through Sanjay <laughs> and saying, hey, no, we're doing Star Wars this week. And then all the books. You remember us going through the books and oh, the new yeah. comics dropping and you and I thinking, yes. this should be easy to keep up with the new canon stories. We could read a book every couple of months and yep. we're golds and we'll, we'll do it all. And here I am like <laughs> 70 books behind now. <laughs> <laughs> and like hundreds of comic books and so that yeah. was that was an absolutely wild time and i agree with you man that's like one of my favorite points of nerddom in the last mm-hmm. six years or so we actually went back and did a tfa retrospective this time last year five years out from its debut so yes. you can go back 52 or so episodes and check out that one if you uh, want a little bit more tfa love now carlos you came into the show in what was it late 2017 2018 18 yeah 18 aquaman yes yeah, so i think was or yeah it would have been early 19 because i yeah aquaman was christmas of 2018 and that's when i yeah. like first met everybody and mm-hmm. yeah. yeah for the first time it, it live and in person so to speak yeah and, the big tester yeah. we've talked about this before about you know asking this guy to come with us and everyone being like what is happening <laughs> <laughs> this is strange and then the next weekend like i've said in the past he's in my basement <laughs> talking around this very table but how about you man you know going back even to that that 15 16 time or even point forward from the podcast what's what's been the thing or the the moment that has really resonated with you over the last three or so years podcasting and doing this every single tuesday from from basically go yeah to be honest i think my favorite was uh the whole joker thing like mm. that movie hit and it was such an anomaly and we didn't know what to make of it. And 
we went from everybody saying, why do we need a Joker movie to this thing, like cleaning up at the Venice film festival and Sundance and us thinking like, holy cow, they have a bonafide movie on their hands. And then, yeah, we all rolled to it for the first time and nice new shiny theater that we got to see it in. And it just Mm. blew us all away. And then that was the first, I think that might've been our only um, remote record that we've done during my tenure and uh, yeah, you brought the big table and all the gear, and we did a record in the back cave oh, for yeah. the first time. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. I it, it wasn't Troy's first time here for sure, but I think it might have been Sanjay's and maybe mm. yours, Tim. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I think I'd been through once before that on a solo mission, but I forgot that we did that. <laughs> yeah, and that was uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. Like, uh, it, it was just a neat experience, like. My family got to meet you guys for the first time where you went from just being my Twitter friends, quote unquote, <laughs> to being bonafide. And uh, yeah, I got to check out check out the place. And yeah, we had a and, and we got a cool movie to review, too. Like that. Uh, I was just actually going back and forth about that very film this morning with Sunny a little bit. And it uh, yeah, I forgot just how tremendous it was and how good a job they did with that movie. And it was just such an anomaly in this comic book movie space and, and remains that way, too. So, uh, yeah, I have very fond movie or memories of that film, but also just everything that the podcast brought along with that, with uh, us getting to see it together and then celebrating it at my house. And, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was awesome. It's one of my favorite reviews, actually. I've never revisited that movie. And the way that we all finished the review, we're like, oh, this is great. What did you think of the end? And all of us had different idea of what it meant. I Mm -hmm. thought that spoke very loudly to the power of that movie. And what it was able to deliver. Because we all interpreted the ending completely differently. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was really cool. We all sat together to watch the exact same movie, yeah. discussed it for like an hour and a half, and then all said, nope, this is how it ends. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I'd be, I'd be, honestly, I'd be a little remiss if I did not say this, being the MCU dude. But like experiencing the Infinity War and Endgame, that whole end to the Infinity Saga as a group as well was really cool. You know, going oh, yeah. to see it in the theater that that moment at the end of Infinity War, and then waiting a whole year. Like we did a year on this podcast, almost to the day, speculating as to what happens in Endgame, and it still blew our brains apart sitting in the theater for that first time. Like two moments that always will stick out to me is the Red Skull appearance in Infinity oh, yeah. War sitting beside Troy. Yeah. And then <laughs> the Avengers assemble, the cat picking up Mueller. Of course, like everyone everyone's heard this from me. Everyone is is fairly or fairly very much agrees on the power of that part of the experience, but like we spent year like years two years building into both of those films on the podcast through trailers and supplemental movies, some good, some not as good. That that was a ton of fun building and all of that because it was it was another thing you were just immersed in this hype machine and this like cycle that Marvel had placed us in that was just we were chomping at the bit whether it was the legends or the posters or every little piece of this that and the other thing and to still with all that with hundreds of hours of discussion still have the experience that we did i thought that was that was really cool one of my favorite favorite times as well was the build-up to all that Mm -hmm. so how about you guys anything else before we we talk spidey i know you guys are antsy to talk spidey here but it's speaking uh, of spidey man I, i i gotta go i gotta go easily with Tom Holland's debut, <laughs> Civil War, hey everyone, Captain yeah. America's shield in that trailer, 
I've never seen outside of a Toys R Us on my phone when the trailer drops. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, like he's here. Like Spider-Man is here because I wasn't actually um I didn't know much about Tom Holland, but I remember is I think it's either between him or Aza is it Aza, Aza Butterfield or yeah. I can't remember their kid's name, but it's between two of them. And that's actually more so for Butterfield. Because I didn't think Tom Holland really could like he just didn't have the look at the time for me. And when I saw the trailer, obviously he wasn't um present, but it was just like the suit, right? It was um it's like the CG animated kind of look of a uh, of Spider-Man. And I was like, whatever they've done, they nailed it. Like that right there is Peter Parker. Yeah, he's holding the Captain America shield, but like the wittiness and like like the the very like kind of New Yorker accent, but it's kind of like muffled, but it's not super present in your face. I was like, yeah. This is like a young Peter Parker Spider-Man. Like, we're in good hands. Because that was the Russos, too, mm-hmm. that was doing that film. And I was just like, wow, we're in for something something great. Plus, you already knew that Chadwick Boseman's Black Panther was going to be in that film. And there's like the whole, I don't know if it's the email leaks or what. But remember, at the time, we knew there was uh, a script with Black Panther yes. and no Peter. And then there was a version with Peter and Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, forever, forever, like more so than the X-Men, more so than... Then Deadpool or the Fantastic Four, everybody always wants to see Spider Man in the MCU because it's like Mickey out of like Disney. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. 100%. Like, you, you gotta have you gotta you gotta have Spider Man in the Marvel universe, and so him being there just felt right. And mm. and even to this day, I still uh, love the character being there because for me, that's that's just where he belongs. And what better way to see that than in the middle of Civil War, in between these different heroes. And unlike the comic book, he's he's a teenager. Like he's not even like an adult. This is a teenager fighting between his his idols. I just thought it was like a brilliant setup, and I thought the Russos handled it extremely well, both with Black Panther and Spider Man. So that was a that was a big big moment for me, and it's something I've always wanted to see live action. So it's awesome. Well, and that Ramita Senior slash Ross Andrew look to his head doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't oh. hurt either. With the eyes, <laughs> yeah. oh. Oh yeah, yeah that was that's that what was, sold me. Yeah, yeah, that trailer moment, right? When his eyes go down and like yeah. that scene that is like it's audio from another part, right? And it's all like spliced together in a certain way. Yeah, that that introduction was cool because we were literally we're one bad Spider Man movie or one iffy Spider Man movie away from that being Andrew Garfield, potentially, right? Because remember the whole Avengers Tower was supposed to be in amazing, but like all the talks yeah. fell through and yeah. then two years Corp in the MCU. Yeah, exactly. And then two yeah. years later, boom, we're at we're in reboot stage, <laughs> which is crazy. Carlos, do you want to finish this off? Is there anything else you want to throw on the table here before we move off to uh, to Spidey? Oh man, like how can we not commemorate the podcast and the journey together without talking about DC fandom and the yes. journey from the announcement through to the release of Zack Snyder's Justice League? Like, bravo! Uh, yeah, that was just such a cool period of time, and like, just we we had something that we didn't think was gonna be happening, and, and like, I vividly remember to this day, like, I had this crappy office set up in my basement on a sofa table, sitting on a folding chair, the early days of <laughs> work from home orders. <laughs> And I had like the Man of Steel live stream going on another computer. And I had Sanjay just like lighting up my phone back and forth with the DMs and and just watching the range of emotions with him going from, oh, nothing's happening. I can't believe this. This was a like I burnt my whole morning doing this. And then that announcement hits at the end and just Sunny going crazy being like, what did this actually happen? What's going on? And like basically asking me to verify that he hadn't 
fallen down and had a fever dream uh, <laughs> that this thing was actually happening <laughs> to us, like discussing the announcement and then fandom. Like that was just such a cool experience to watch that first fandom, see them kick it right through the uprights, but then like just the DMS back and forth. Cause it was like, we were at a convention together experiencing mm-hmm. this all together and like they're dropping the Gotham night stuff for the first time. Oh. And yeah, we got to experience the Batman trailer together. Like it was just so cool to go through that and then to actually see the movie and for it to blow us all away from yep. the the most skeptical to the most enthusiastic about it. We all just embraced and loved that thing. And yeah, it gave us a solid couple months, a good year of content kind of thing. And uh, yeah, that was just, it was a, an awesome little journey to to take that thing from being something that existed just in the ether to being the greatest comic book movie ever put to screen. Ooh, that's a bold <laughs> statement there, but <laughs> but I will say, I will, I will echo those sentiments because you, when you're talking skeptic, you're talking me. Like I was the biggest skeptic. I didn't think this thing existed. Yeah, I was right next to you, man. I was right next to you. And it, uh, coming off Beaver says, you go back to our 16, 17 episodes. I'm pretty hard on all of that. And for that movie to land in front of us, and I threw this on Twitter the other day. It's I put it up there as the best comic book movie of 2021. Yeah. Right? It's it's in in both co- relative comparison to everything we've seen, but also in just general grading. So I went back and listened to every single grade I did because I was I was curious, right? Because there's this movie's fallen on a lot of lists this year, and I said, where did I actually put this? Unbiased, just giving it in the moment that in a relative and it I it's the A minus. It's the highest rank I've gave a film this year. And to go from not believing that it exists to giving it the highest grade for me personally in the year, and Halen is the best comic book film. Like that's a pretty wild experience to go through. Yeah. And and DC fandom, like you said, was like the catalyst to a lot of that. Mm. And yeah, it was oh, man. That that's it's wild when you think about that. You go back to or like we've been chronicling this Zack Snyder thing for almost the entirety of this podcast, the existence of it, that we were talking Batman versus Superman in that 16, our early days with that and civil war. And then you get into justice league and all the craziness around, like it's been a part of the podcast as much as star Wars as Zack Snyder (laughs) and that universe has been part of this podcast, an integral piece of it. Yeah, man, you've been leading this podcast longer than they've had a head for their DC division in Warner Brothers. Yeah, so <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you've you've been in your position longer than anybody that uh, worked for that company, type of thing. Yeah. So who knows? Walter Hamada. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah. maybe Hamada is the real deal. But uh, yeah, you outlasted all of them. Yeah, <laughs> Troy. I know you love Zack Snyder's oh, Justice League, man. Yeah, I, I loved it, man. I, you know, because for me. Man of Steel, I was a big sucker for. I absolutely love that. And then there's bits and pieces of BVS that I like. I've mm-hmm. grown to appreciate it far more. But, and you know, with Justice League, Joss Whedon, I, I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was actually bad. And I could tell at that point, though, I like Affleck was kind of checked out, which I was kind of bummed over because I really do like him in the role of Batman. And then this new hope kind of came after the fandom reveal and whatnot. And I think we got a little bit of a tease with the Joker card. And just knowing that Affleck's back and he's reinvested and he's coming back in the flash and we got Henry Cavill in the black suit and we got more scenes of the flash and everything was firing. And then when I saw this film, the four hour cut, 
absolutely fell in love with it. I, I started reading up on all of Zack Snyder's um, other like stories that were meant to take place after in this universe. Oh, and yeah. I'm still <laughs> craving that now. And I, I'm just, I absolutely love it. And, I, and I'm with you for me right now. I haven't seen Spider-Man yet, but I guess when you guys listen to this episode, I will have seen it. But anyways, um, yeah, it's, it's my favorite comic book movie of the year. Hands down. It's, mm-hmm. it's my opinion. It's far better than Shang-Chi. It's better than Black Widow. The Suicide Squad was really good, and it was close, but it is better than The Suicide Squad, and mm-hmm. I don't know what else I'm missing, but I feel like that film for me, that four-hour cut, that last that last act, it's 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 one of the best acts ever put to live screen. It is absolutely fantastic, and um, that banter between the Joker and the Batman, just it just hits me in all the right places. It's something I've always wanted to see, so I forever love that movie. So good, so good. No man, you you did forget Eternals on that list. So and Venom oh, too. You don't. Oh, Venom too. That wasn't intentional. <laughs> honestly, um, honest mistake. Honest yeah. mistake. Wow. Well, why why take up space in your brain, right? We're just That's like, right, man. Yeah. There it goes. <laughs> so there it is, guys. A little a little look back on on some of our favorite moments. If you ever want to go back and and listen to some predictions that are mostly wrong. And some skepticism in some wild ways. Go back to 2016, 2017. I think I used the phrase a lot for DC films. It's a step in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> so we've had a ton of fun. And we're going to push forward, guys. We're getting to the end of 2021 here. It feels like the last two years have aged me about 10 or 12 or so. But we're, we're here. We, we've gotten to Spider-Man No Way Home. I still don't have tickets. I still don't know when I'm going to see it. Because I looked today for an empty theater, one does not exist this weekend. So I'm gonna have to uh, I'm gonna have to put on some sort of hazmat suit and walk my way into a, a showing full of people because everything from Thursday night through to Sunday at 10:45 at night has almost max capacity, at least at my, the landmark close to me. And so that goes to show how anticipated this film is. This this film could be Spider-Man No Him could be the first $100 million film opening weekend in the in the pandemic era, which is which is pretty crazy and, and very appropriate because this, this character has been around forever. 1962, Amazing Fantasy number 15, Ditko, Stan Lee, they create this character. You know, the, the first teenager to be a superhero, right? They usually were sidekicks or whatever. And it provided an avenue in. We talk a lot about avenues in for younger people into comic books, into films, and they got to see themselves. And Peter Parker was one of those one of those guys. And it introduces us also to this huge rogues gallery. Everyone from Harry Osborn, Flash Thompson, you got Gwen Stacy, you've got Mary Jane Watson. Then you go into his foes. You've got Doc Ock, you've got Goblin, Venom, Electro, Sandman, Vulture, Lizard, most of which we're going to see this weekend. But this character... I want to know why does it resonate so much from 62 all the way through to now. This character is arguably the most popular superhero ever. From a merchandising perspective, he sells more than Batman, Superman, the Avengers, anyone. Spider-Man is a massive, massive commodity, but also a fixture in nerddom. Carlos, what what is it about Spider-Man? What is it about this character that you have such a strong connection to? Well, I think, like, for the audience, he's just immediately compelling. Like, just that visual with, like, the big white eyes and the red and blue suit. And those colors are just automatically interesting to 
children and people gravitate towards it. But then also uh, he he's an interesting and compelling character to adults and more mature readers as well. So there's just that visual aesthetic of him and just the interesting abilities that he has. But then he's always around. Like there's always mm-hmm. a gateway into the character. Like for me, it was the reruns of like the 67 uh, animated show that used to play during like this syndicated kids show that we had in the city called the buckshot show they'd show like (laughs) the spider-man episodes in the middle of the show so there was that and then he would show up on the electric company and i remember like watching that show all the time just like it was painful and terrible but i'd watch it for like the monsters that they'd have on there and i'd watch it for like the little weird live action spider-man that they'd have (laughs) on there every once in a while and then the 80s not I don't know that we got the solo Spider-Man show up here, but Spider-Man and his amazing friends like that and the incredible Hulk show. Like that was a thousand percent my gateway into the character. And that's where I fell in love with him. And uh, just the look of him, they, they really went out of their way to capture the kind of uh, the Ross Andrew uh, Ramita senior look of the character. So then he reflected what was going on in the comic books and you just lust after those books on the shelf. And yeah, it was just, I think that he's always there and he's always accessible and there's an avenue in for uh, anybody that wants to take it kind of thing. And even more so now as you've evolved it and you have characters like spider Gwen and Miles Morales Mm -hmm. and any flavor of Spider-Man that you want, you can have them. And there's just so much Peter Parker stuff that if you want that, you could go your whole life and not consume it all. So I think that's what it is, is that he's, he's ever present and always accessible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. What about you, Troy? You know, yeah. we often call you the Spidey guy on, yeah. on the podcast. This is one of, one of your characters. Mm-hmm. What is it about Spidey? You know, picking up some of those threads that, that Carlos talked about, about his accessibility and his presence in the media, whether it's comic books or theme park rides or video games, or what is it about Spider-Man for you? Well, I love what Carlos said, especially like, you know, like the easy access into the character. You know, when you think of the X-Men, when you think of the Avengers or Star Wars, there's so much lore behind them and there's so much lore behind Spider-Man, but Spider-Man is kind of just like, always been there much like the batman superman this is so easy to get into everybody knows the origin story of radioactive spider or superman fell from krypton and batman with the well the crime alley right everybody kind of knows those three figures that i feel like spider-man know what he has over them because he's the best to do it in red and blue he does it better than soups in some way and and the look and the design is just so appealing like carlos mentions with the white eyes but the personality like he's cracking jokes he has all these mm-hmm. different silly names he has the spidey he has the webhead the wall crawler and i i, I never even these times like my parents would throw around those names and like wow this is crazy like my mom knows who like spidey is like this is something that we can <laughs> connect over and then you know you have that the 67's cartoon and the cool jazzy music of him climbing up the walls i always loved like that jazz and spider-man i thought that's so cool and his power set was just so different than anything else you know he wasn't flying he was web swinging and i think it was carlos that sent me a video of Todd McFarlane talking about Spider-Man and when he explains how he draws the way he web swings. Mm. And at this time, Todd McFarlane was drawing it differently than anybody else. But when I grew up, that's kind of the Spider-Man that I was seeing in the comics. And it was so interesting to see how this character web swings through New York, through these skyscrapers, as opposed to just flying or having a jet or 
or you know at the time being submariner or aquaman you know swimming through the ocean spider-man is doing something that nobody else is doing he's not teleporting he's web swinging and and he's cracking jokes he's webbing the bad guys he's leaving you the, the little notes your friendly neighborhood spider-man but he's the little guy. He's doing all these things, but he's not going back to his big mansion. He doesn't own a corporation. He's getting beat up by his boss by the other end, who doesn't actually know that this guy's saving the day. You know, like J. Joe Jameson absolutely hates who Peter Parker is, but doesn't know who Peter Parker really is. Mm-hmm. And there's such a cool concept there that this guy's doing so much, but he's still at the end of the day, this little person that kind of gets beat up by the world. You know, he started off as Peter Parker being beat up in high school. And now he's this bigger thing, Spider-Man, but he's still being beat up by the bigger people around him. And the cool thing to me as well as in the comics is the things like um, the potential. Spider-Man always has the potential to be the best. And it's early in the comics. I think it's like, I can't remember. It's super early, but I think it's when he goes into the Fantastic Four building and Thor, basically all the Avengers, all the big time heroes are out. And Spider-Man's the only one that can do what he needs to mm-hmm. do. And I think Thor is taking off. Like, I got to go. And he sees who Spider-Man is. And he's like, but that kid has, like, potential. And those characters are like, this guy could almost have the might of Thor. This character could be as smart as Tony Stark. And I always thought that was really cool. And it's something I really liked with uh, Andrew Garfield's performance of Spider-Man. Because he always seemed like the Peter Parker that has the potential to become bigger than everybody else with Mm -hmm. that responsibility. It's such a cool and key thing with that character that... That moral compass, that that slogan, nobody else has. You know, that mm-hmm. great power comes great responsibility. It's it's a huge thing, and it's something that pretty much everyone can live by. And it's and it's echoed really in um into the Spider Verse without it being beaten over your head. They don't even say it, but it's 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 there. It's felt, and uh, I just think it's such an uh, amazing thing. And that this this character will always live just for things like that because mm-hmm. everybody can see themselves in that character, right? Totally. So, well, to build on yeah. what you're saying, like the appeal of Batman is that anybody could. Batman like nobody could be as rich as him but he's at the end of the day he's a regular guy and there's always a threat to him like he's you know it could be the Joker that kills him or it could just be a group of gangbangers that overwhelm him or whatever and Spider-Man's the same way like Spider-Man has his powers but Spider-Man could technically get killed by anybody so people can relate to that but also I think Mm -hmm. like the biggest thing going for Spider-Man is that he's a poor guy Mm -hmm. and people like that really resonates with people and how many stories do you have with Spider-Man where he has to – he's already somebody that society's kind of beaten down. Like his aunt is in a bad way. They're not flush with means, but he still does the right thing even to his detriment. And I think yes. like that's the most special thing about Peter Parker and Spider-Man. And I think that's the thing that the amazing movies got the best. Like mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. adore the Andrew Garfield-Sally Field relationship and the way oh, that they played that up. And, like, just, just those small things. like, And you know what? To their credit, like, the Rami movies did the same thing as well um, with her having to give up her house and, and whatnot. But, like, Aunt May having to go and work, like, night shifts at the hospital and do waitressing jobs and getting pushed around by her bosses. And it's happening to Peter, too. Like, those things really resonate with people because the vast majority of people are not flush with cash like Tony Stark, right? They're, right. like most of society probably lives that Parker life more so than mm-hmm. rolling with the Waynes. So <laughs> <laughs> well, and to build off that even more, the message with, with Spider-Man, right. That what he represents, like you guys are saying, you can translate across that across decades. Right. And it still is meaningful today. The greater good doing the right thing. And whether that message is in 2021 or 1962, it still has a pretty powerful meaning. 
you know, we've seen the evolution of some of the big characters at both Marvel and DC over the last couple of years, especially. And what they were in the 60s is a little different from what they are now. And you take a guy like Cap or Superman, we're seeing them them evolve a little bit. The essence of them is still there, but there's some importance behind their meaning that is is evolving. But Spider-Man's is is the same, right? Whether it's in the movies or the comics or the TV shows, it's it's always there. That message is the same. Great power, great responsibility. Do the right thing, the greater good. And I, it might even apply more so now, <laughs> more than ever. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so like, there's just something about that, that, that that's one thing I've always loved. I've never been a, a steadfast Spidey guy, but he's always present. And that messaging has always been very powerful. I think to me, um, you ask most people that line and they could probably quote it a lot. Of, some people might not, might not know where it's from, but the fact mm-hmm. that it's, it's become something bigger than that beyond even spider-man i think shows the importance of the messaging that's built into that character in particular yeah everybody can say it except tom holland yeah <laughs> well it, it took a lot we'll it see. took a lot of years we'll for, see. for cap to say avengers of we'll i'll that. give him i'll give him another 10 we'll... yeah you've got about you got about 48 <laughs> hours man <laughs> plus two and a half <laughs> before that so we we can't we can't talk about Spidey without talking about comic books. This is where the character grew. This is where the character was created. So Troy, speak to me about some of those arcs. We don't have to go into detail. Yeah. But what are some of those arcs that you've read that that exemplify who and what Spidey is all about? Well, I mean to sum things up because that's that's a lot. I could honestly say the whole arc of ultimate spider-man to ultimate mm-hmm. fallout that whole bendis run and sarah pacelli is just just oh, phenomenal awesome. work and, and especially you know we talk about like current times and bringing it updated i mean now like yeah the 2000s might be a little dated but that was basically to bring the whole marvel world in a 2000 timeline where there's cell phones and internet and and man did they ever knock, knock it off the park because it's spider-man really and the ultimates that really elevated the ultimate universe so i would i would always uh, suggest that one for me, I'm a, I'm a Dan Slott guy. I love what Dan Slott did with Spider-Man. And uh, I talk about the potential that Spider-Man always has, but I also like to see that potential get met. And Dan Slott did those things. He he gave us uh, the, the superior Spider-Man, which was Doc Ock invading his body, but he really elevated that Spider-Man to like, what if Spider-Man had the tech of Batman, but the mind of Peter used all the way, 100%, and he could actually protect New York pretty much on his own at all means necessary. And... It's such a great take on the character of Spider-Man um, with having a ghost of Peter Parker constantly nagging Doc Ock to be like, hey, man, I'm reminding you with great power comes great responsibility. So that's a cool arc. Um, mm, I love Spider-Man that the big time. It, it's a great run. Uh, it's Spider-Man one of the, the one of the few runs. No, the Superior is one of the few runs I've actually read from okay. like 700 through Superior. Yeah, yeah. Just before, it's like six something. 698, um, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 amazing. It's amazing. I have never got a lot of flack because at times people were like, "What? Like you're gonna you're gonna kill off Peter Parker and put in Doc Ock?" Mm-hmm. But it worked, and it actually mm-hmm. made me love Doc Ock like more than pretty much most villains of of Peter. So um, that one's a cool one. Uh, the Grim Hunt. It's it's darker. It's not really a great reflection of the Spider Man we just talked about, but it's necessary. <laughs> and it that's a, that's a phenomenal run. Uh, Grim Hunt, the Gauntlet. Spider-Man the big time uh Horizon Labs which is cool because Horizon Labs has been popping up in some of like the current media right now actually with Spider-Man 
that's a great run. It's basically Peter working. I think it's actually the best job for Peter Parker, and it's him working for an actual lab, and he's actually an inventor, and he's creating tech for his pal Spider-Man, which is a little bit of like an old-school throwback to Tony Stark working for Iron Man or Iron Man working for Tony Stark. So uh, that's a great run. And then um, another one to cap it off, I actually really like Parker Industries. Again, reaching his complete potential on his own uh, with a little bit of help of Doc Ock, but he owns his own industries of Parker Particles, Parker Industries. And it's a really cool kind of take on Spider-Man where his responsibility is bigger now. He's corporate. He's gone corporate, but he has to like <laughs> keep people employed <laughs> while being Spider-Man. And it's actually a really cool, uh, cool run. So I suggest a lot of people to not sleep on Dan Slott's run. There's a lot of great, great issues in that whole i think 200 issues maybe he did he ran it for about five or plus years maybe even more he's a long long run yeah, i think so. he's got the record doesn't he he's i think he does spider-man the most huge, little... yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No. the spider-verse like that's all him that's that's dan slot yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. no no nick spencer love <laughs> no, no we're, we're in good times Sorry. right now we're, yeah we're celebrating right spider-man yeah, we're yeah, celebrating i couldn't spider-man. help myself That's hilarious. carlos man you, you've been reading spidey for for quite some time yeah uh you know what and troy hit on everything like i couldn't have done a better job with the modern spider-man stuff like obviously the jerry conway jd demathy stuff the david michelin era like those are the seminal moments of the character that we see adapted to the big screen, like um, Jerry Conway doing the death of Gwen Stacy. Like those were all things that we had never seen and never expected and really subverted expectations. Right. So those are pretty amazing stories. And if you don't want to read the seventies comics, you can read something like Spider-Man blue by Jeff Loeb and Tim Mm. sale that revisits that. And that's, that's an incredible um, retelling of that tale. And I'll always have a soft spot for the David Michelin, Todd McFarlane era mm-hmm. of the books, like watching Todd come up and it was just, it was just cool. And, you know, he really found his own voice and then watching him draw like the background characters with the flames and Oilers jerseys and stuff like that. And <laughs> just, just little pieces to the point that he became the biggest selling point for Spider-Man and they gave him the book and he was writing it. And like, I'll admit like the, the pictures were a lot better than the, the writing that accompanied to be honest, like uncle Todd would probably tell you that as well, but um, <laughs> it, it was just a cool era. And that was like when I was buying comic books myself for the first time and whatnot and chasing those bagged variants and all that kind of nonsense. And uh, oh yeah, we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was a, it was a good time, but uh, there's no shortage of great Spider-Man stories out there. There's maybe a few too many of them right now, but uh, just plenty of resources <laughs> from this podcast. Uh, out to lots of top 10 lists and, and whatnot where you can find some pretty special Spider-Man stories out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome, guys. Awesome. And, you know, an avenue where a lot of people probably got introduced to Spider-Man outside of the animated series and outside of the comic books is, of course, film. You know, Spider-Man has been present in film on the big screen since the year 2000 when we got the debut of the Raimi series with Tobey Maguire. <laughs> is that his name? Is that him? Yeah, Toby Maguire. My head, I got something that was weird there, but the debut of <laughs> you're, like, you're, you're just pushing it out of your mind. It's like Troy yeah, with maybe. Venom Two and the Eternals, <laughs> right? <laughs> with the debut of of Toby Maguire in the role of Peter Parker, the first time we're seeing the web sling live action. We've got Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane Watson. We've got 
Goblin, who's returning. Yes. William Dafoe. This movie, this trilogy really sparks something in the comic book movie genre. It was the first movie in history to debut at over $100 million, with $114 million. This first movie is still the highest grossing, unadjusted domestic total for the box office in all of the Spider-Man, with $403 million, outgrossing both Far From Home and Homecoming, Spider-Verse, the other two Spider-Man, and all the amazing stuff, which is it's crazy to think that that movie from the year 2000, unadjusted, grossed $400 million and is still the highest grossing Spidey film in history. We may see it eclipsed with No Way Home, but that's going to be a difficult feat in this era. So Spider-Man may be the highest grossing and will forever be the highest grossing Spider-Man film. I did not, until I did a little bit of research for this, you had asked me, I would have said, well, it's, it's far from home or homecoming for sure. Yeah. Well, no doubt. If you adjust for inflation, it's going to have that crown forever, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's Nothing is going to touch that in a solo Spider-Man film. And then you, you look at how this developed. It, it bonafide this genre to be a true moneymaker. You did not see the success outside of really 89. And we were only getting these films every couple of years. You know, we go from Spider-Man, what was that, year 2000? And then it's year 2002 when we get Spider-Man 2? Mm-hmm. And, or no, it was the 2002 when Spider-Man came out. Sorry, X-Men came out in the year 2000. And 2004? Was- 2004, 2005. 2004, yeah, June 2004, we get Spider-Man 2. So these movies start coming out at a pace. The idea of the trilogy in the, in the superhero genre, like Spider-Man 2 grosses $375 million dollars opens to $88 million. Spider-Man 3 opens to $151 million. That is the highest opening for a Spider-Man film. Higher than Far From Home, higher than Homecoming. And so the importance of this, just from a financial perspective, we're going to talk about quality in a second here, but this took that business, that model, and made it viable. It set a pretty strong foundation alongside the likes of your Batman films and also your X-Men films to create that foundation for really what we get post-2008, right? When we get into that Nolan era, that early MCU era, where these movies are now the pillar, the pillar, I will say, of Hollywood. They're holding up a good chunk of Hollywood. These are the highest grossing movies of the last six, seven years are all superhero movies. And there's a lot that I think these films owe to Spider-Man for proving it to be a, a business model that actually works. Now, let's let's talk about these films a little bit. We can kind of throw all three of them. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I've been going through a little bit of a rewatch of all of them in anticipation of appearances of certain characters in Spider-Man No Way Home, bringing together the multiverse and actually really full circle this whole conversation from 2002 forward into 2021 almost you could say almost 20 years two decades just shy of that and we're coming full circle on these characters that we're seeing in this universe even with this director sam Raimi coming back and doing multiverse of madness coming back into the marvel fray here in 2022 so let's talk about sam Raimi. we can go on all over the place let's talk about the suit let's talk about mcguire but troy yeah the kickoff of spider-man 
live action mm-hmm. 2002. You're sitting in the theater or at home watching it on VHS or DVD, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your experience and your your reception then and maybe even now <laughs> with subsequent rewatches and all that. <laughs> oh, you know, at the time, good. it was breathtaking. At the time, it was the best thing I've ever seen. I'm still the, the little kid coming off the Wizard magazines, and they had the DiCaprio, uh, James Cameron, Spider-Man going on. So that, for me, was like the first Spider-Man live action. Obviously, it never happened. So we got this guy, Tobey Maguire, which I knew nothing about. But at the time, like everything worked. I thought the coolest thing is when he got bit by the spider He's feeling sick. He wakes up in his bedroom and he's ripped. And he's like, "Yeah, you know, Toby, not Toby, Peter, are you feeling okay? He's like, yeah, I'm feeling great as he's flexing. I was like, oh, that's that's so cool. Like, I want to get bit by a spider, you know? Like, it was just, it was just awesome. And just that, the, the, the little things they did in that film was really cool. And I feel like the overall story of it was cool. My problem was, I guess I just jumped, like, my reaction from, like, how I felt back then to, like, now. But it's going to jump to right now. So I like the movie back then, but I'm going to talk about it right now. So um, the actors, I don't feel like Toby mm. now, especially was the right fit as Peter Parker, especially now that I'm more invested in Spider-Man than I've ever been. It doesn't line up. And then Kirsten Dunst, even back Ugh. then, has never, <laughs> ever felt like Mary Jane for me. The, the girl next door who's she like MJ has like that fire in her. Like she doesn't need Spider Man half the time. Like she can like hold it down. She's she's like she's like Felicia Hardy, Black Cat without the powers. You know, like she's just a very, you know, she holds it down. And so when you watch this movie, it did didn't work for me. She just didn't. She seems so miscast. The best person, honestly, is um is Franco. Right? Yes, like Harry. Like Harry. One hundred percent. Harry's fantastic in it, and I love William Defoe's take on Green Goblin. I think he's actually, and like the father son relationship between those two, and he kind of, you can kind of see he looks at Peter like I almost want Peter to be more of my son than Harry because Harry's kind of a, you know, like a dimwit in some ways. But I think those two's dynamic is 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 amazing. The costume at the time was cool. I loved mm-hmm. even the CGI. I thought was really great. He moved like Spider Man pretty well, but not. Not to the point where I'd like him to be. Like, Spider-Man needs to be low and very agile. And I, I feel like they did it a little bit in that film. And I guess it's, you know, it's you can only do what you can back then with the CGI. But that's nitpicking. But basically, for me, Peter Parker has to be the standout. And Toby's was just awkward and not in, like, the Peter Parker way. It was very robotic, a lot of the mm-hmm. lines that he went through. And, day like, by day. <laughs> but the thing is the thing is it's it's so bad because you know i've gone back to um spider-man 2 the video game and that was like breathtaking back then spider-man 2 the video game was basically mm-hmm. grand theft auto with spider-man and they got toby mcguire most of the cast the movie cast to you know voice act that video game and if you listen to toby mcguire in that video game again it is so bad it's some of the worst voice acting you'll ever hear and it's it's just like bruce said over here like day by day there's the girl of my dreams and it's just so bad how he delivered i think i even delivered it better and you know it's just it's just not very good and then when you get to andrew garfield it's like a level up like oh my yes. god because he, he's he, hands down he's the better actor like i don't care what anybody wants to say andrew garfield is a better actor than Tommy mcguire and and he owns that role as every Peter day Parker, of the week man. as spider-man <laughs> right <laughs> So that's my two cents. But I don't want to beat on Spider-Man because Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2, and I even Spider-Man 3 in some aspects, I, I really do enjoy. And, you know, you kind of play with the toys that you had back then and you enjoy them for what they were. But then, you know, back now or looking forward now, it's just like, mm, I don't feel like I aged the best. Spider-Man. No. Yeah. And I think there's 
to very much to your point about it's it's not about tearing the films down, but it, it, more so appreciating what they did. Mm-hmm. I think for me, for the genre, for the character, and all that. But I'm I'm very much in the same space as you when it comes to Toby and Kirsten Dunn. Kirsten Dunn's is there's I don't know what it is, but her eyes. You look at her eyes, and there is literally nothing there. Like nothing yeah. Yeah. as she's talking. So you, you get to two, and it's like, whoa, what happened to like this poor woman? Yeah. And Parker, from the moment you see him, he's way too old for me. You know, he looks <laughs> as old as I do right now. <laughs> but you know, really close shave. Yeah. And so, yeah, Maguire and, and Dunst take me right out of it in a lot of this. And going back, and I know 2 is always hailed as one of the best ever, and it, it's fine. It is of the time, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't think that these things can stand even close to anything that's being pointed out from 2008, 2005 forward. I think that they stand on their own in their own little world, but you take them out and you try to shoulder them with what we got today. It's not even close, in my opinion. And Franco, Franco's the best. I threw it on Twitter the other day because I thought it was a, like this hot take, but it, apparently everyone agrees with that, <laughs> that Franco yeah. is his arc is the best. Yeah, his acting is the best. He's the most believable in the role. And yeah, I I, I love the films for what yeah. they are, but I I do struggle a lot. I don't, and it's going to be curious. Like if Mogara comes back, if he'll if he'll fill the role a little differently as an older Peter Parker, mm. maybe. But yeah, and like Carlos said, it's like sometimes people are holding up big cardboard cutouts of what he needs to say, and he's just like <laughs> literally reading it off of the camera, right? <laughs> it's like, dude. <laughs> I think it was Sunny though we were talking um, to, and he mentioned that Spider-Man Two. I think he said the script is really good, and it and I really agree with that. I actually think Spider-Man Two script is great. I think the actual story of Spider-Man Two. I think Doc Ock is actually fantastic. Spider-Man 2 and I like Peter's kind of like doubt in himself of carrying the weight of Spider-Man and you know whether him losing his powers is kind of weird that you know whatever's going on in his head with him losing his powers and then he gets to kind of be Peter Parker without having to hold on to the weight of being Spider-Man and live his life but then it comes back and it reminds him like no you gotta be Spider-Man I, mm. I kind of like that whole full circle but it, for me it just comes down to the, the performances because like I said like Doc Ock's performance is great Franco's performance is great, but then it's Peter and it's MJ, the characters that you're meant to care about the most. Performances isn't. And like I really, really hate seeing Peter Parker in that film. Like the more Spider-Man he is, the better for me. Because the more Toby I see, the more it takes me out of the film. Right. Man, the vigilante boys aren't gonna like us this week. <laughs> so I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Carlos, any thoughts on Rami and and what he does and what that franchise brings and you know, we get characters like Sandman and Venom introduced in this, Doc Ock, we've got Goblin and whatever Harry's Goblin is. Like, there's a lot of characters that come into this. And and at times, that might be why we're seeing a lot of those characters being brought into No Way Home as opposed to a more prevalent Toby or that Spider-Man. I, I, I'm curious as to, to where you're sitting on these. I know I know you have a, a name for, for Toby in your oh. household. And it's not even my name. It's like, my my innocent little daughter who has loved spider-man since she was like literally a toddler like we have videos of her she can barely walk but she's dancing with this like inflatable spider-man but she has always referred to him as the crying spidey like to this day she couldn't tell you that his name's toby Maguire, but she's like yeah crying spidey why are we watching crying spidey 3 or 
or whatever. But uh, <laughs> that 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 is how he's known in his house. Uh, for me, like my perspective is a bit different because I came from the era where you took any comic book mm-hmm. movie or um, offering from that genre and you just absorbed it and you supported it. And it's like I don't care that. Wolverine is six feet tall and drop dead good, gorgeous, and wearing black leather. It's the X Men, and he has the claws, and that's mm-hmm. that's as good as we're gonna get, kind of thing, right? And I don't care that Batman is dressed all in black and can't really move because that's as good as it's gonna be for Batman, right? And like, and we did get like fantastic Christopher Reeve Superman. Michael Keaton's Batman was awesome, but then like all the other stuff, you just kind of took it, right? Like you'd even go out and watch movies like mystery men because it was a comic book offering. Right. So when those Spider-Man movies hit, it was like, this is awesome because this is a really good interpretation of the character. It leans into some of the comic booky stuff, pretty good. And maybe this is the best we're ever going to get. Like make no mistake about it. Like Peter, Par- like Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, both in and out of the outfit was always way too stiff for me. And him with uh, Kristen Dunst, Mary Jane is just, it is the most obtuse stuff that you will ever see in a movie. Like comic book to CBC Sunday night taxpayer movie. Like it, it is the worst. Like, good Lord. <laughs> But you just took it because that's all yeah. that's all you could get. Like <laughs> and yeah, and it and it hasn't helped that Toby Maguire the guy is not the best dude in the world either. It gets revealed over later years. So I don't revisit those movies very often, if at all. Um but there is magic and there is mm-hmm. some special stuff to those movies mm-hmm. and like the train fight with Doc Ock is oh. still yeah. one of the best comic book action scenes that you'll see to film yes until he gets knocked down and they have the, he's just a kid it's like dude oh, he's older yeah. than you are <laughs> like kid uh, is 45 <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like oh and here's your mask and oh like just yeah yeah terrible terrible but like for its time like mm-hmm. it elevated the genre and if those spider-man movies don't work we never have Warner nope. Brothers pushing to do Batman again and get the glory mm-hmm. that is the Dark Knight trilogy, which doesn't mm-hmm. push Marvel Studios to get their house in order and put out Iron Man. And um, yes, yeah, it, it was the it's so the first rising tide that started lifting the ship. So yeah, 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 that that importance of them cannot be understated. And there's there's a lot of great merits and accolades that can be tossed at at those Spider-Man films, but. In retrospect, yeah, they're of the time, for sure. But then you move into the amazing era. Mm. Look, I've just revisited these films after thinking that they just weren't for me. You know, Amazing Spider-Man came out in 2012. It came out in the year of the Avengers, right? The big build-up to Avengers. And it kind of got lost, I think, this movie. Because when I revisited Garfield and this film, this is a good film. Like, I was so surprised when I revisited this, thinking wait a minute, I didn't like this or I thought I didn't like this film? Like, what is wrong with me? Now, I haven't too been able to rewatch watch Feige stuff. You needed to stay in the house that Avi built. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Well, one day we'll give you guys some insight into to the DM I got sent earlier today. Oh, man. 
It, I, it, it, it the words that followed started with an F and ended with a U. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> All in good fun, though. But no, seriously, seriously, amazing. I, I, I guess I haven't got to amazing two yet again, but I just thought these were things that got swept under the rug. Like there, there is so much in here that aren't Andrew Garfield brings and Emma Stone. Like the, the chemistry, it's so palpable on screen, and him as Peter Parker. I love the email take on it. I love him. As soon as he gets a suit on, he's a completely different dude. Everything that Garfield brings to this role and the story with the lizard, it, yeah. it's so good. And I know two gets overstuffed and they're racing a little bit here to try to catch up to the post Avengers world of Marvel or comic book movies, right? Where everything has to be connected and they got to be building this universe instead of just focusing on the character. Like amazing does a lot where it seeds the parents and all this different stuff, but yeah. it just puts it out there. It, it's building for a solo franchise and two really takes it and says, no, no, we need a universe now. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder what world we'd be living in if they maintained the, the quality and the storytelling into two that they had in one with Andrew Garfield, like Andrew and Gwen are still great in that. The death of Gwen Stacy is awesome in that cool. film, but it gets overshadowed by a lot of, a lot of big stuff, mm-hmm. a lot of building, you know, walking through the basement <laughs> of, of, of Oscorp, right? Even Osborne, they rushed. I think it was cool in one that they didn't even reveal who Norman Osborne was, that he was yeah. just a figurehead, right? Yeah. He was, he was like the quote unquote Thanos for yeah. that world where we're going to give you an outline of him, and we'll deal with that later. Yeah. But then they kind of rushed to that in two, instead of probably where it should have been as, as three, right? Where you get maybe Harry in two, and you get Norman and company in three. So, so Troy, you're not in your head in agreement here as mm-hmm. well with Amazing. Yeah. Um, coming back to this one, look, they ended that original series in 2007. So there's a five year hiatus before we get Amazing. Two comes out in 14. Boom! By 16, we're rebooted again. Yeah. So this this era of Spider-Man on film kind of gets just push to the corner and PL. I think a lot of people forget about it, to be honest. Yeah, it's all about to change after Thursday, man. Cause listen, like <laughs> amazing Spider-Man one is it's, it's my go-to next, next to homecoming. Um, mm-hmm. I remember my wife, well, girlfriend at the time was like, look who they cast to play Peter Parker. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like the social network guy. Like I, I didn't know <laughs> a ton about him, but I'm like, I like it. It, it was, it was, a, it was a casting choice that I, that went off of purely off of the look. And I was like, yes, absolutely. I'm sold. And I remember the next photo we got reveal was um, Peter Parker. It looked like he, the Spider-Man just came out with a fight with Lizard and his head's kind of down, but his mask is off. And he's like mm-hmm. in an alleyway. That's like one of the first images they showed. And I was like, give me this. I love this costume. There's so much blue, just enough red. And um, I see the movie and instantly I fell in love with it. Because I'm coming mm-hmm. off of... Um, spectacular spider-man the cartoon which is like the best take on the character next to like the ps4 and obviously some of the great comic book story arcs and to see andrew garfield basically take uh that kind of uh approach to the character because i feel like it is very much like the spectacular spider-man approach of peter parker uh with a bit of that new york style 
it was so cool. It was grounded because we, we were in like the Dark Knight world now, so it is a little bit more of a grounded Spider-Man take. Um, their whole pitch was the untold story, right? So the 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 real like happenings of Peter Parker's parents, what they were up to, scientists, agents, whatever they were doing. I guess mm-hmm. they weren't scientists in this one. And um, I was like, okay, that's cool. It didn't really bother me, but I was like, that's cool. I'll take it for what it is because, um, like Carlos mentioned, Sally Fields at Peter Parker's dynamic. And then also you have uh, Uncle Ben played by um, Sheen, uh, right? Sheen. Uh, Martin Sheen. Oh, my goodness. It was so good. And then, like, Sally Fields and Peter Parker's relationship elevates even more so in part two. Like, say what you want about part two. But unlike the Tobey Maguire's that in some ways had the better scripts, but I complained a lot about the characters, this one is in reverse when it comes to Spider-Man 2, Amazing Spider-Man 2. The characters, the actors bring it. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Emma, Stone, and... Andrew Garfield, like their chemistry, in my opinion, it's the best uh, on-screen romantic yep. chemistry we've we've had. It's it's so For good. Sure. And, I, and I'm coming from the guy that's like I'm a, a Peter Parker, Mary Jane person over Peter Parker and Gwen, and I loved it. I loved, I absolutely loved it. And the scene where she she passes in Amazing Spider-Man Two is something else. But Amazing Spider-Man One, you know, I, I love Peter Parker with a backpack on. It gives it to me. I love Peter Parker Spider-Man fighting in the <laughs> high school. They give it to me. I love the banter. They gave it to me. Like everything, like a check mark was just lighting up in my hand because I felt like that book absolutely nailed it. I like the help of like the New Yorkers backing up Peter Parker a little bit. I like Spider Man saving the kid, put on the mask, like all that kind of stuff. To me, is just like oh yeah, something so else. Good. It's 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 really good. It's really powerful. Him using the web and kind of feeling like the vibrations of the web when the lizards and the oh. sewers, like all that stuff, was just so cool. The web shooters were back, like. Man, it was so good. And much like Ben Affleck, I feel like um, it's a missed opportunity to not go further with Andrew Garfield or Ben Affleck. That's how I felt with Andrew Garfield. I mean, I know part two bombed, but man, a part of me was like, just put Andrew Garfield in the MCU. Like, I would love to see this guy go back and forth with Tony. I would love to see that, you know. Um, It's really special for me. I just think Amazing Spider-Man 1 is great. I feel like it just ages better and better every time I go back to it. I, I love it. I love him skateboarding and he's swinging across the chains as he's mm-hmm. figuring out how to web shoot and he's on the hunt for the guy that killed his uncle. All that stuff to me, I just felt like they nailed it. Absolutely. I think Sony did a really good job. And Mark Webb, I think Mark Webb doesn't get enough credit for what he did yeah. with that film because you can feel the executives, you know, claws in part two. But I feel like part oh, one, they sure. were just like, Mark Webb, have fun, do what you want. Mm-hmm. And, and he killed it. He absolutely nailed it. Yeah, and we almost got Andrew in the MCU. In that time frame, post-2012, there's a lot of discussions of the potential for, I believe, Avengers Tower showing up in two and Oscorp Tower showing up in an MCU film and all this, and that all fell apart with Amazing Spider-Man 2. It is really unfortunate. You know, if you're going to go back and watch a film before No Way Home, I'd say Amazing is Amazing 1 is probably the one to go to if you you really want to go back to some of these. Carlos, talk to me about Amazing here. And your experiences with it and kind of this this in-between era of spider-man you know raimi always gets hailed as having this amazing trilogy amazing is kind of in the middle before you get to 16's debut and then the running of now a new trilogy with holland but uh amazing spider-man there's just a lot of merit there and i think people are missing out oh yeah well what else is there to say i think troy wrapped it up beautifully with hitting on all the high points all the things that that movie really brings and if you've listened to episodes of this podcast you know that 
my family is ride or die with Andrew Garfield <laughs> for a lot of reasons, and we got, we got a special bond with that guy that uh, that you just can't break. But um, <laughs> for me, it's the scene where Peter's down and out. He's been shot by the police in the leg, and he just has to keep going. And he like webs mm. his leg up, and he's just trying to get his locomotion going so he can keep moving and then there's the dad of the kid who's like the crane operator yeah and he hooks up spider-man and then he calls the rest like people hate that scene i love it i love it because that that is spider-man to me like the guy who is beaten down who could very easily like the easiest thing for him to do is just take his ball and go home it's like police the lizard is actually your problem you shot me you're treating me like crap like the easiest play for me is to just go home because uh, you don't want my help and it's frankly not my problem, but he's the guy that steps up and takes care of business and like that and the stuff with Aunt May, like I talked about already, like it it is just Spider-Man encapsulated perfectly. Uh, Honestly, the amazing, if they had had a bit of restraint and like realized Mm -hmm. that the Richard and Mary Parker stuff, it doesn't even work in the comics. Like Richard and Mary Parker are the best when they're the the absent parents, like the parents yeah. that you know died in in an unknown way, and it's left to this boy to be raised by his aunt. Like yeah. that is the best version of it, right? And so, like honestly, that is really what weighed down Amazing One. Like any time that that movie gets clunky, it's the Richard and Mary Parker stuff, and mm. then Amazing Spider Man Two. That is just an anchor on that whole movie. Because I think you could have had a great movie. Like Jamie Foxx campaigning for the role of Electro, I think is what might have undermined what Mark Webb's plans were for Amazing 2. But you could have had a great movie if you just did Electro or if you just did the Osbournes. Or if you Mm -hmm. had seeded the Osbournes in the background of Amazing 2, but you don't take it to the death of Gwen Stacy and if you skip Norman as the Green Goblin, like that's cool. It's something different, but you build to that in in your Spider Man three kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, like Tim, you kind of said they were in such a rush to catch the MCU and get to their Sinister Six and build their Spider Man world that they uh, they ended up tripping over their own feet. It looks like you know God's good graces has got them in a position where Spider Man is back better than ever, but it'll always be that unknown. Like, what yeah. if? Kind of like with Spider-Man 3, right? Yeah. What if uh, they had just left Sam Raimi alone, not force Venom on him, let him tell the story he wanted to and get to the Vulture and yes. whatever else and maybe build to Venom, maybe not. And now with Amazing, it's like, what if they had just mm-hmm. let Mark Webb tell the story he wanted to tell, yeah. build things more organically and uh, see where it goes instead of like, let's force this, let's get the Gwen Stacy thing done and out of the way so that we can have the Sinister Six and all these other things and have our own little MCU type of thing yep. on the Sony side of the house. So, yeah, man. It, it is a shame, and it's it's an interesting what if because it's either one thing or the other. It's yeah. Andrew's in the MCU, or they just kept going with this franchise, and Spider-Man never makes an appearance in the MCU. And like you said, Troy, it becomes a more Bozeman-centric civil war. And and he has a, a different role to play, which then cascades into his own film, and it changes everything. So there's yeah. so much there 
that these small decisions ended up really making the MCU what it is today. And I'd be curious, you know, what what is the MCU without Spider-Man, Carlos? Like, what is it in the absence of 16 Civil War and then the follow-up with Homecoming and what he brings in Infinity War and Endgame and then the prologue to, or the epilogue, I should say, to Endgame with Far From Home? We've seen Holland here. Well, this is his fifth outing coming up here. Six? Yeah, six outing in the last five, six years. So in the timeline of this podcast, we've seen Holland on screen six times. <laughs> yeah. Man, I hate to break it to you. I think the MCU loses a lot of steam without Spider-Man in mm-hmm. it. Like, yeah. I yeah. I think hey, man. the wheels I'm all fall ears. off that thing where people, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, just like Troy said off the hop, like, it's like having Disney without Mickey Mouse. It's like having the Justice League without Superman. like Spider-Man is the draw. Like growing up, the Marvel characters were Spider-Man, the Hulk, and then Captain America was the, the, the kind of third guy that would show up. Mm -hmm. And then it was just random characters after that. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, man, that's, that's what it was in the eighties. Like Spider-Man reigns supreme. Yeah. And X-Men really didn't get it started till later. Right, like the nineties, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah mid nineties. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's where X Men really took off, and like, yeah. and those characters they performed in the comics, and people loved them, and uh, they had their fans, but they were never ever like there was a steep, steep, steep drop off from Spider Man and the Hulk, the rest of the yeah. characters yeah. in the Marvel pantheon. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I'm curious to know what it would have been like had they, like, as much as people like to think that Spider Man needed the MCU. I think the MCU needed Spider-Man. Yeah. And look no further than 2021. Like, Mm -hmm. ain't nobody going back and watching Black Widow or The Eternals or any of those shows. But I guarantee you people are going to have those repeat viewings of Spider-Man No Way Home on on lock, right? So... Mm. Well, and it's it's interesting because I got to give props to my man Kevin Feige on this one. (laughs) And even Sony, right? Like... No, just for real. I love Kevin Feige. But in in a world where there's a lot of hubris behind the MCU, well, we don't need Spider-Man. We, we've built this already, right? They made avenues in, both of them, both, both production companies, to make this character happen inside of the MCU. I think there's, like, for lack of a better term, a symbiote relationship here with Spider-Man and, and Sony and then also the benefits that the MCU has gotten. There's a lot of moments even in those big crescendo style of films with the infinity saga that spider-man is integral to like that suit or not that armor to spy iron spider but he plays such an important role in that and being dusted and then his comeback and the story that he brings both in and outside of the team-up movies i agree with you carlos i'm under no delusion that the mcu is in a much better place because of spider-man yeah. And they have the ability to take risks that they have this year, especially with the Eternals and with some of these other films that they've put out that are are very different from our your mainstays. But because they have characters like Spider-Man that they can rely on. Look, they're putting Spider-Man into this humongous multiverse movie. Right. The, the draw to set up what could be the phase five. But it's a relying a lot on Spider-Man. 
being that initial draw and the box office doesn't necessarily always reflect that right like with homecoming debuting to like the 117 just around what spider-man did and pulling in over 300 like substantial money here but it's it's so important i think that like you guys said that that spider-man is a piece that he's going to continue to be a piece of of the mcu go forward post even no way home but troy i know i know you love yourself a good homecoming viewing yeah man (laughs) do i ever but but you know we've talked about the the raimi spider-man we've talked about mark webb's spider-man what is it here about this spider-man in the mcu that gets you to the point where homecoming is your favorite film you've seen so many versions including Mm -hmm. andrew garfield which you just heap tons of praise onto but what is it about this spider-man that if i can take it back to a question almost from the very start that resonates with you yeah well you know it's funny because this is the one like i said i needed the most selling on yes i'm happy that spider-man's in the mcu i'm still skeptical of tom holland what is he going to be capable of even though i saw what he did in 2016 civil war but this movie opens up and it takes me right back to civil war and it's such a cool take of how to get the audience sped up to where peter parker is now six months after the events of civil war um people have his issues with him you know being an iron man fanboy but for me i just take it back to well iron man is just his stand-in fantastic four because if you go back to the original spidey he looked up to Reed richards he looks up to the fantastic yeah. four so and he's a 16 year old kid he's gonna look up to some sort of hero that is the avengers and it happens to be iron man so that never mm-hmm. bothered me uh he's in high school he's there with ned which is basically ganky from the ultimate comics miles which is a, a nice bonus because i think that character is phenomenal um but Holland is just very, very comfortable in the role. Like, I feel like New York, it's it's very diverse. He has a really cool cast of characters. Again, it's all about the characters. And I feel like Peter Parker. I feel like Genki. I feel like the aunt, even though she's not my favorite aunt. But I feel like everybody's invested. The little moments that um, Tony throws in there, it's very, like, to the point and mentor-like. But it's just enough mm-hmm. to be like, we're in the MCU, but it's not his film. And I never felt like it was an Iron Man film. Agreed. Um, you know what I mean? The Spider-Man costume, I, I I love it. We get more of that. I love him going in the alley and kind of doing like the Flash thing where his, his costume like suctions onto him. I, I think that's mm-hmm. so cool. And he webs his bag and that's very comic accurate. We're getting a lot of comic nods in this movie that I feel like a lot of people sleep on. We're not getting the crazy bombastic like web shooting or web swinging that we did in the other films. But I feel like they make up it in other ways like the great power, great responsibility is also very heavily implied in this film where he takes on Vulture at the end of the day without any powers. It, it shows you the steps that he's gone through where like, yeah, he has this suit that Tony made him. It's cool. But at the end of the day, without the suit, he can still get the job done. And he does it in his underoos, taking out the Vulture. There's so many cool scenes like the um, the boat scene when he webs it together. Mm-hmm. We've seen it in the mm-hmm. trailers. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. And then Tony gives him a lashing and you can feel the weight of Peter being like, damn, I, I let this guy down. Like, shoot. I got a Especially when up. he steps out of that suit in that scene. Oh, like, yeah. Here, and he boom, 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 out comes. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so good. It's so good. Um, if you need the suit, you're nothing with it or, or something like that. If, if, if you needed the suit, this is some kind of little lecture he gives him without saying mm-hmm. with the great power comes great responsibility. And he lays it on Peter thick. I think Peter in Washington, when he saves the kids on the high school trip, is great but then you get those moments where peter's out there with like his his peers his friends and he just wants to hang out with them he just wants to party and that pool scene when he's like man like there's liz i really want to hang out with these guys 
but I gotta be Spider-Man. I gotta go mm-hmm. and bust these other guys. And for me, I'm like, that is Peter Parker. He's putting everything else to the side. He's throwing on that costume. He can't even web swing to where he needs to go. He's gonna like. Oh, run I love there. that man. I, I, think, I think that's. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so good. I love it. You get those little high school party scenes. It gives you a little bit of like those eighty throwbacks to the high school films, but then it's giving you like Spider Man. I just, I don't know if there's hate out there for this film, but I have zero. Obviously, like I absolutely mm. love what they do in, in Spider Man Homecoming. I think Vulture is one of the best MCU villains of all time. Michael Keaton absolutely nails that role of Adrian. I don't even care about Vulture really in the comics, but Adrian Toomes here, his portrayal is fantastic. When he has that scene with Peter in the car and he basically figures out who Peter Parker really is. And he tells him basically like, I'll kill you. I'll kill, like I'll take you down kid. And the light kind of turns green on like on uh, Michael Keaton's face. And there's just like this whole kind of like cool kind of take on just like, he's evil. This guy's a bad, bad dude. But then later on, obviously when the film finishes, you kind of get a sense that, Maybe Vulture really isn't the worst guy ever, but he's still a villain. He's still a foe. And uh, he has a little bit of respect for Peter at the end because he doesn't, at least from what I take, he doesn't give up his identity to Scorpion. But um, mm-hmm. for me, man, I'm, I'm all there. And, and my last thing, my last, last thing is we get that cool moment of Peter Parker with like the whole like warehouse tumbling down. And it's that iconic moment from that comic. Ah, oh, shoot. I can't remember the name of it now, but basically he's holding up the whole place and he's like, I got to do this. He's basically crying in there and he, you know, he gets to the rubble and that's like, that is comic accurate. There's so many goodies throughout this whole film and it's, it's great, man. I have a blast with this film. I can go through it any time of the year. Obviously I do. Um, it's just, it's great, man. And I can't wait to see more from Tom Holland. I can't wait to see part three and how that ties back to part one. It's just, mm-hmm. I'm hyped. I'm hyped. I'm all there. I love it. I, lo- I love just listening to you digest and break down these films <laughs> throughout the course of this. <laughs> so, Carlos, we- we've got No Way Home in front of us here, man. We've got the the, the trilogy capper for for Spider Man in this is six appearance. We're not going to talk predictions because you can go back and listen to the last year's worth of those. Well, and the movie will be out by the time a lot of people listen to it, so we'll sound exactly. Foolish. So, post. Let's go post No Way Home, man. And we've talked a lot about Spider-Man and the MCU over the course of the last couple of years and all his appearances. You can listen to our reviews. But what's next for Spider-Man? You know, we, we've gone through so much with this character in the two decades of film in the, what, 70 years, 60 years of this character being around in the comic book. So much with the animated series and there's a love and passion for this character that that it will just go on forever. But but where do we go next with him? I think he becomes like your ambassador character a bit, where he'll take that role that Tony Stark had in Homecoming, and he'll be the guy introducing your Fantastic Four into your MCU. Mm-hmm. Very um, cool. A, a couple other characters, and y- you know, I I think Sony is in a position where undoubtedly they have all these big plans and you've kind of run out of road where you can introduce characters like Venom and Morbius. And now you're looking at Craven without Spider-Man. Like it's always this big gaping hole Mm -hmm. in your, in your universe. So they have to figure out something. And that's got to be the thing that I'm the most excited with home with no way home is to see how they reconcile that. And um, I, I don't think there's any doubt that, there is some answer to that question that be it Holland or 
Garfield or, you know, maybe variants or whatever the hell you want to do. But I do need a Spider-Man in the Sony Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, I do want to see Spider-Man kind of thriving and doing his own thing. Um, like I talked about, like, the one of the most special things about Spider-Man is when he's the everyman who's struggling and of limited means. And I think that that's, like, I really love Tom Holland's Spider-Man. I do adore Homecoming. It's one of my favorite MCU movies. But that's, like, if there's a, a, a place that it falls down for me, is you don't get that, right? You don't get um, seeing him and Aunt May trying to get the rent put together. Um, you don't get to see uh, how his being Spider-Man really affects her. And it, it seems like we'll get some of that in this movie, which is awesome. But uh, the, the ever-presence of Tony Stark takes away from that, right? Like, mm-hmm. the most unrealistic thing in the world is when you have the billionaire Tony Stark and his protege Peter Parker, but then Peter Parker can't make the rent. Like, come on. There's yeah. no scenario in or, which that yeah. actually happens, right? Or so. Aunt May's dating Happy Hogan. <laughs> yeah, and, you know? yeah, and she's... Yeah, and, and they do seem to shy away from a few of those May and Ben things, right? Like, Troy bought, brought up that powerful scene of, you know, Peter mustering the power to be able to come out of the rubble, right? And it was cool in Homecoming and it fit in the context of that version of Spider-Man within the universe and the story they were telling. But in the comic books, like, he gets buried in that rubble and he's trying to deliver medicine to Aunt May because she'll die if he's unable to get that medicine to her, right? And when Tony Stark has taken that role in his motivation, that's where I'm like, ah. Mm. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I like it and I appreciate... I, I... totally just like we have multiverses and people wave the flag for it all the time so like i don't see how you could get upset with the Mm -hmm. mcu spider-man because he is the spider-man of the mcu and he's not supposed to be steve ditko spider-man and he's not supposed to be brian michael bendis's spider-man he's what's his face is no it's not mark webb what's the director i can't honestly spider-man okay thank you yeah. This whole record, I've all I can think of is Mark Webb. I've not been able to conjure John Watts's name up until you just yeah. said it. <laughs> yeah, so like that's 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 what it is for me. But like, I, I've kind of talked about those things that are my favorite parts of the character. So those are the things that I think mm-hmm. are missing sometimes. But I love the look of him. I love the um, the vibe that Holland has as the character. Obviously. Peter Parker's girlfriend being this lanky brown girl is something that means a lot in my household too. So that's cool. And uh, yeah, man, I'm I'm curious to see where they go next, but I do think that Sony has to have a Spider-Man in their house. Mm-hmm. And even if they just share it and, you know, we don't mention the MCU stuff when we're doing our movies and they use them how they need to use them when they're doing theirs. So Yeah. Well, it seems like this partnership, Amy and Pascal in all of these the big promo pan campaigns they've been doing for No Way Home. <clears throat> She's mentioned directly that they're they've extended their partnership. We're gonna get three more movies with Holland inside of the MCU. So whether the Sony verse and the MCU become one and the same, or they become multiverse, jumping back and forth, who knows how they're gonna do this? And you know, we've thrown predictions out about Holland being sucked right out of the MCU, and it seems like maybe Troy's been right all along. That maybe he's just gonna kick around. And we're going to see this character become still a pillar of the MCU, but also he's doing stuff on the other side of the street with Sony. 
um, in the, in the same house. So it's going to be interesting to see where all this lands. You know, we're on the cusp of it, cusp of it as this episode releases. Troy, I want to end this episode with you. Yeah, man. Last last thoughts on on Spider Man here. You can do a prediction. You can look into the future. You can just yell and scream about Far From Home or another movie because I'm, I'm I'm here for that too, man. <laughs> uh, well, well uh, I've had a blast. I mean, shoot, this is 300 episodes and we're talking about Spider Man. This is this is amazing. Um, no pun intended. But um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but but for me, man, you know, um, whatever happens with Spider Man, I, I I like the fact that we've gone to where we've had. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I say I wanted Spider Man in the MCU the whole time, and we've gotten those moments of him fighting side by side with. Captain America, Avengers Assemble. We've had him there with Tony on Titan, take on Thanos. Uh, we had yes. him fighting in New York. You know, like we've had some really good times. So I'm just preparing myself. So just in case he gets taken out, I gotta remember, I gotta appreciate where he's been in the MCU so far. But I feel like honestly, more than ever, um, personally, the MCU needs Spider-Man more than ever now, with with mainstay characters kind of fizzled out and the new characters are pushing out. I really feel like they need to to hold on to Spidey and not like no, man. the MCU's they got, in trouble. They got Icarus. They got Icarus. It's fine. <laughs> I, I don't want to say the MCU's in trouble by any means because these guys can these guys can drop Doctor Strange tomorrow and it could be the best thing ever and they're they're right back to where they were. So I don't think that they're, they're desperate, but I really feel and this isn't like I'm trying to stick to Spider Man, but I feel like with Spider Man there. I'm just like that greedy fanboy that wants the X-Men right beside him next now. Like I, mm-hmm. I want that whole Marvel cinematic world um, all firing on all cylinders. But um, yeah, man, I feel like, I feel like Pete's here to stay in the MCU. And I think we're getting all the worlds colliding. I feel whether they know they're a separate universe or not, I think we're going to have a world of Marvel. Like everyone's yeah. in the MCU. I think um, obviously Sony and, Marvel have to work out some sort of deal, but I feel like Venom's there. Well, I don't know what spoilers. I mean, it's out now, but he is is in the MCU. Um, I think, I think Daredevil is there. I I, I think Mm -hmm. we're all just going to be able to have our toys and play with them in the MCU sandbox. But I agree with Carlos. I do want those more personal stories. I want Peter in college paying his tuition, working a side job at the bugle or horizon labs. And he has to get by, but he's still, you know, doesn't have enough money to make his web fluid. So he has to go out there without no web shooters. You know what I mean? Like I want those kind of stories. And I think we can still get those. I don't think every story has to incorporate a Dr. Strange or a Tony. And I think homecoming for the most part did do that. I, um, despite Tony dropping in every now and then, I feel like we can get there. I think we will get there. So for me, I just want that, that college Spider-Man who's trying to get by, make his grades, impress Doc Connors, you know, have enough money to take MJ out for a nice date without mm-hmm. you know ruining it by having to save somebody's life i just i just want those simple spider-man stories that mean a lot for the everyday man basically yeah i love it dude i love it and you know one of the questions i asked at the top of this is why does spider-man resonate and if i can take a cue from both of you guys in this is that all of this discussion we had whether it's the comic books whether it's Raimi webb or watts whether it is the cartoons the toys the video games whatever there's a spider-man for everyone this character has existed since 1962, and this, exists, this character will exist long after us, long after the nerd room. And this is the reason why, that this character is, as Carlos said, omnipresent. This character is always there. There's always a version of that, an interpretation of that, 
that someone is going to like. Yes, you might not like the MCU Spider-Man, but you have Amazing. You might not like Amazing, but you have Raimi. You might not like that, but you have the video games. There's always something there. And every version you see is just another interpretation, which is awesome. You have all these comic books. There's so much Spider-Man. And guys, I can't wait to talk about Spider-Man No Way Home. Fingers crossed I get to see it this week. <laughs> I gotta, <laughs> gotta weasel my way in there somehow. But we are hopefully going to be talking about Spider-Man No Way Home, the third entry into the MCU Spider-Man trilogy this or next week i should say on episode 301 gentlemen from the bottom of my heart it's been an absolute pleasure podcasting with you guys with sanjay with ian over the last 300 episodes and i hope that everyone out there listening is is doing well staying safe and we appreciate you guys coming back every single week whether you're new old whatever to the podcast we like to have fun we like to celebrate this stuff and uh and it's okay to disagree also i always like to put that out there it's okay to like different stuff guys it's cool this is what makes the world go around so i guess we're we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up there it's we're gonna see our the twitter actions will be out there um we're gonna stay spoiler free as best we can up until next week's episode where we do a deep dive into no way home which is very very exciting our final mcu film of the year and then we get to review hawkeye yes yeah. don't don't forget about that hawkeye and then the book of boba fett of course is coming out here we've got the holidays coming one more week guys before we get into that festive season proper where we're sitting down enjoying stuff with our families and so hope everyone can take take this time and enjoy spider-man enjoy the mcu enjoy raimi or whatever web just go out there and and digest some spider-man whether it's the comics or anything like that and have some fun with with spider-man this week just like we've had on this episode so with all that being said 300 episodes behind us guys i gotta give the same wrap up that i've done 300 times (laughs) ish (laughs) if you'd like to be a bigger part of this show and of any Spider-Man discussion, you can always email us at nerdroom.gmail.com. You can find everything we can do over the nerdroom.net. The hunt is real, and it's over on Instagram. I just threw up a video of my latest Lego build, the Imperial Probe Joys. So you can go check that out. We've got videos coming on YouTube almost weekly and Twitter. So we're going to be finding the first reactions from the crew here on Spider-Man No Way Home. Spoiler-free reactions. And... All the other discussion about Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. Be sure to go check out, actually, the episode we dropped. Bonus episode this week. It's uh, one episode back, uh, Jurassic Park, Jurassic World. We talk all things Jurassic with Tom Jurassic and memes. Two great guys in the Jurassic community. And we have a ton of fun just uh, gushing about the legacy, the evolution, and the future of Jurassic Park, Jurassic World going into Dominion. So a lot of fun there. If you want to take a little break from Spider-Man this week, because I know it's been a lot of Spider-Man talk around the world and uh and rightfully so but uh let's get there guys let's get to no way home let's get to this final review for the year and then we'll get into 2022 right away with book of boba fett peacemaker and all kinds of craziness from the dc world so for 300 episodes and the nerd room i'm tim i'm troy and like michael keaton said to tom holland on the set of homecoming i'm batman (laughs) and thank you guys so much for entering the nerd room this has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts Tim, Troy, Sanjay, and Carlos on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, Sanjabi, and CDN Caped Crusade R. For more content from The Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you plug in. 
Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from the Nerd Room on Instagram and Twitter.